Great, great honor this afternoon to have um, Neil come and speak to us. We're looking at these lines here. Um, my, soul, my soul, my life, my all, which is the last line of When I Survey, about living a life of worship. Neil has been leading worship since he was 15, um, and he's been um, growing as a worship leader on staff in his church in London for the last five years, overseeing worship and um, youth stuff. He's been leading uh, 12 to 14s for the last few years, and obviously this year and a bit last year, been leading more in the evenings and Big Top. But before Neil was actually leading worship, involved in the worship team, Neil's actually been on the pre-week setup team for New Day for, for many years. How many years, Neil? Ten years. One of the first people on site, just running around in a buggy, putting stuff up, just making this thing happen. And um, what Neil's shown to me and to the people around him is a, is a great servant heart. He's not after the limelight. He's not after just being on a stage. He's very happy just to bring a heart of worship and just to serve, a servant heartiness about him. So it was an easy pick, really, for him to speak on this topic, living a life of worship. Um, so can we give a massive New Day welcome to Neil Glanville? Cheers, guys. Um, so before we kind of dig in to this topic, I said to Sai, like, you guys have been having some great material all week, but I wanted to actually give you just a bit of an opportunity to see if there's any questions in the room. Now, juggling, we're juggling a lot this morning because I want to speak on some stuff and then we want to have some time to respond. So it was like, where do we do this? So I've actually decided we're going to do it up front. We're going to just do 10, 15 minutes of some Q&A and give you an opportunity. If there's any questions that are like bubbling inside of you, I just want to give you an opportunity to be able to ask that and hopefully I might be able to give you some degree of an answer. So why don't you just take 30 seconds, turn to the person next to you and see if there is, out of everything you've heard this week, you've seen, is there any like worship particularly related questions that you would just love to ask? Okay? So speak to the person next to you for 30 seconds and we'll just see if there's any questions out there. Okay. So let me just set the expectation. I might not be able to answer every question, both in terms of there being too many and also if I don't know, I'm just going to say I don't know. Or I might let Sai jump up. But um, anyone got any questions? Yes, at the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the question was, um, according to my friend down here, um, I am able to quite subtly communicate with my team on stage. Um, how do I do that? So very practically, we on the stage have what we call whisper mics, so, um, which is basically I'm able to speak to the band and not out to all of you guys. Um, and there are three of them on stage when I was leading. So I had one of them. Uh, my keys player, David, had one of them. Um, <laughs> and then Jack Wintermeyer, who was on electric guitar, had one of them. And I was speaking to someone about this yesterday. And there's basically just, a, particularly us three, there's a relationship going on. And all three of us are, are at times directing and, and influencing and leading what's happening in the room. And there are a number of things that affect that. So if you were there on the choir night, I had 36 seven singers on stage, which basically meant I didn't feel like I didn't have to be singing out over you guys nearly as much as I might normally, which actually meant on that night, I did a lot more what I would call like MDing, musical directing on the mic. So I was communicating with the band when to build, when to bring it down, sensing what God was doing in the room. So I did a lot of that that night. However, Often when I'm kind of vocally more leading the room, I leave it up to David and Jack, who will do a lot more behind the scenes. They'll be watching the room, seeing what's happening. Again, they'll be giving instructions as to when to build, when to bring it down. And um, yeah, if I manage to do it subtly, that's great. Um, 
it's, yeah. It, obviously, there are times where the camera comes on you and it must look quite weird because you see me speaking but don't hear my voice because I'm whispering to the band. Um, but that's basically what's happening and we're just, between the three of us, we're discussing in a way like we're, we're all observing what's happening in the room, what is God doing and how we are going to then respond to that. All right? Anyone else? That's a great question. <laughs> um, that's a great question. Okay, so let's have a... Let's, pardon? So the question was, how do I motivate myself to worship in times when I'm really not necessarily in the place to... Let me, I'll be, I'll, let me tell you honestly what happened this week, okay? So um, we've been serving throughout the week, and it's demanding. It's demanding physically. Like, we are... Um, every morning I've been up at 530 um, we're in breakfast at like seven. We're then rehearsing by eight. We're then, and then on Thursday with the choir, literally, I did. We had a, basically a half an hour break in the whole day between seven a.m. and ten p.m. Basically, like it's full on. And that day, the band actually, we went into the morning and we were all feeling pretty like, man, this is hard work. We were tired physically, spiritually, emotionally. And on that day, God was so gracious to us. And when the choir turned up, we had a prophetic word given to us that where not just us, but the whole site was maybe getting a bit tired throughout the week, the choir were going to come bring this new energy. And, um, and actually, then I had a, a word from God when we were eating lunch, and, and I just felt God say, the cavalry's here. And there was this backup. And so there, are, there have been moments this week where my heart has been like, man, this is hard work. I think it's good for you to hear that, you know, um, and you've, there are times where you've just you've got to dig into God. And there have been moments where I've literally been like, God, I, I, how am I going to stand up there and do this? And he's so faithful. Every time I've put that, my, my foot on that first step to walk onto that stage, the Spirit of God has come. And sometimes it's been this surge of energy. Sometimes I've just felt his whisper kind of go, let's do this together. You've just got to dig into him. That's the only way. And the reality is there will be times, if, you're, if you ever lead worship... There will be times where in your heart you're just a bit like, man, this is, I'm not in that place today. And, and the only response is really to dig into God and where we are weak, he is strong. Yeah, where we fall short, he is faithful, he will go the extra mile for us. Um, it's not about uh, willing it, it's, it's going, God, I'm so dependent. And I tell you what, some of the best times of worship that I've ever led have been in those moments where actually it's just been not in my strength, Lord, but yours. And he's turned up. He's faithful. Yeah? How are we doing for time? Uh, yeah, let's take a couple more. Uh, let's take um, Captain America here. What's it like to play with so many other people and to play in front of so many people? Awesome. Um, it is crazy fun. It is. It is. It's amazing. Um, I mean, again, Thursday night with the choir just one of the biggest joys of my life really um you have to grow to it so someone someone asked me the question the other day as well like how do you balance so obviously we're all in in ears yeah and how like how do you balance so many things happening like so many voices in your head you're 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 looking out there you're seeing what's you're you're trying to be aware of what the lead like joel and ben are thinking at the front you're listening to your band and you, you just grow with it it's like it's why you don't start you don't start there yeah, it's like you think of David's journey. He didn't start with Goliath. He started with fending off the wolves from the sheep. And God grows you 
yeah, in stature, in ability, in capacity to the point where, um, so as I've been leading worship since I was 15, um, it didn't start well when I started. I knew about four or five chords and my youth leader went, yeah, let's, let's get you up, let's do it. And that was in a room of 20 of my peers and it sounded awful. But God was glorified and God's been good and my youth leader took a risk on me and bit by bit by bit, I've got a bit better musically, got a bit better vocally, the ability to hear all these things, balance it, hear from God, hear direction from the leaders and, and God grows you. But it's why you don't start, start up there. So my encouragement to you is wherever you're at, do it as best as you can. Don't worry about what's next. In our family, we've got a phrase that says, um, be faithful in the small things. That means whatever God's given you right now, do it the best you can. You don't have to worry about the next door opening. If you do this well, that door will open. Yeah, and God will grow you through it. Okay, let's take, let's take one or two more. Yeah, at the back. Yeah, so what do you do when you're leading worship and God interrupts your song list and gives you like a spontaneous song? How do you um, blend that in into your worship? Yeah. <laughs> as faithfully as possible, I try and do it. So again, I'll, I'll speak to you, give you a bit of the kind of behind the scenes look at this week. So yesterday morning we, d- we did the final set with the choir and we were, we were talking about we wanted to get a take of a song for the album. Okay, so I went in, I was going, right, we'd love to get this recording for the album. And I'm praying like, God, if this is like... And there's always a bit of tension there in terms of like you want to be... Like we all want the album to come out, right? We want to take New Day home with us. So this is a good thing. The album's a good thing. But you also want to be um, feeling God in the moment. And so we're getting ready to do this song. And we're thinking, right, let's nail this great song. King of My Heart, all right, that was the song. And then um, Ben Rowe gets up and he starts speaking. I'm like, okay, what's he bringing? And Isabel, one of my singers, comes up to me and she says, "Um, do you know the song um, Break Every Chain? And I went, I know it, but probably not well enough to lead it in this moment. So I said, okay, let's see what happens. She goes back. Um, I'm hearing Ben, what Ben's bringing. It's like, okay, I think it's appropriate. So I, I, I whisper, use the whisper mic, and I say, look, Isabel, there might be a moment just to sing it a couple of times before we get the recording that we want. Um, and so she starts singing it. And in that moment, just the spirit of God came. And just so you know, all the way through pre-weeks, I've been a set up again this year, all the way through that, all the way through this week, there has been this promise from God that he was going to break chains. And so she starts singing this and I'm just like, man, this is it. And if you were in there, my goodness. And at this point, again... I, this is where as a leader, you, know, you, you need to know as a leader when you don't need to be the person to lead it and when to step back. And so I just said to Isabel, take it. And man, she took it. And um, we reached a place in worship that is, just, like, I don't know if you saw, I was just weeping on stage. And so just when you hear God speak, you're just as best and as faithful as you can. You, you go for it. My experience is God is super, like, he's super faithful. So there isn't always prep, always prep, never you know, it's not about not prepping. I'm just going to see what God does. No, prep faithfully. God is gracious. And 98% of the time I find he, what he does is in line with your diligent preparation. And then there are a few moments where he maybe flings you a curveball. And as best as you can, go with it. Have courage. Um, yeah. One more. 
I'm going to go over here. Sorry, Jem. You can ask me later. Come. Oh, she's coming. She's coming. For like um, the people that are like singing up on stage, how would we be able to like? Because I want to like be up there with them and sing with them at the same time. Like, how would I do that? Yes, great question. So I've been to every single New Day since it started in 2004 when I was 11 years old. Yeah, New Day is a huge part of my journey. Literally, as 11 years old, watching this man lead worship, um, to now stand alongside him is a huge privilege. And I remember when I was probably about 12 or 13, just like you, looking up at that stage and going, oh, I want to do that one day. I want to do that one day. And in that moment, I felt God say to me, um, actually, no, I was a bit older because I was leading worship by then. I was about 15 or 16. And I felt God just say to me, Neil, I've, I've given you permission to lead your church in worship. So I just started to do a bit at King's. And I felt him say, that's where I've, I've put you. Be glad in that. He said, don't worry about that. Be faithful in the small things, what I said earlier. I just felt him so clearly just say, I've given you this. Focus on that. Don't worry about that. And actually, in that moment, I'm, I'm not saying this over you, but in that moment, I felt like I had to repent and go, okay, God, whatever you graciously give me is enough. And I, that, that coveting, that desire was, in my case, was far more about me being on a platform than it was about serving God. And, um, and so I put it down. And I, I dug in at home. I led worship in gatherings of two, five, ten, whatever I got asked to do, I did. I did pre-week. Uh, literally, five years ago, my role at New Day was I was the guy that when a toilet was overflowing, I was digging out the poo. Like, that was me. Literally, once I pulled up a drain hole cover and literally it overflowed and poo literally came out onto my feet. Genuinely, right? That was four or five years ago. Okay? Slightly different to standing in front of all the lights, but the heart's not. And so my encouragement to you would be, if you've got a desire to sing worship, to lead others in worship, find that opportunity at home, dig in, do it as best as you can, look for people that will help you learn, grow musically, spiritually, um, develop that servant heart in you, focus on Jesus. And if it's right, because I'm not standing up there because I'm spectacular at all. I am so ordinary, guys. I wake up in the morning, I look a state, I'm snotty, I go to the toilet like everyone else. Like, there's nothing glamorous about me. The only reason I'm up there is because God's been gracious enough that in this season, he's put that before me. And so if it's right for you in your future and God is, then you don't have to worry about it. Put that down, focus what you're doing at home, and he's faithful. He will get you where he wants you. Your purposes. Last night, Toppy, there is a purpose for you. And just, just do what he's put in front of you now and his purposes will be realized in your life. All right? Okay, right. We're going to dig in to this topic. Um, can I have the other mic back? Is that right, Jess? Thank you. Um, I will hang about afterwards. So if there's any other questions, swap. Um, we will, we will, I'm very happy to answer a few more. Just before I do crack in, any budding young worship leaders out there, I just want to recommend this book to you. It's called Worship Matters by Bob Coughlin. It is spectacular. This book will take you from the theology and doctrine of worship, like what we believe about worship, to your heart's approach to worship through to practical tips of leading worship. 
Um, it is it is literally the best thing from cover to cover in terms of a holistic look at his worship that I've ever read. So I highly encourage you to buy that. I'm not sure if it's in the bookshop, but take a look. So I'm 26 years old. I'm married to a gorgeous girl called Becky, um, who is over here. She is busy this week leading our 100 young people um, on our site. Um, as, as I've already said, I started leading worship when I was 15, um, and it's been a huge privilege to go on that journey with God and with others cheering me on. And um, so today I'm, I'm going to speak on this, my soul, my life, my all. These lyrics uh, came out of a song called, uh, a hymn called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Hands up if you know that hymn. Yeah, great. It's a phenomenal song. And it was written by a chap called Isaac Watts 300 years ago. Yeah, and we're still singing it today. Now, I'm going to do it a bit different to the other days this week. I'm not going to walk through the whole song, but um, I'm going to speak particularly on this line, this topic, and I want to link it with Romans 12:1. So I'm just going to read that to you now. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. So this is one of Jesus' early kind of followers. And um, Paul was, I mean, Paul had quite a, a, an incredible transformation. Okay, so Paul had been... Um, a Pharisee, he'd been like a Jewish leader. He hated the early Christians. He hated them, despised them, persecuted them. And then one day he's uh, on his travels and literally Jesus in a moment interrupts him on his journey. And in that second transforms his heart. And Paul's whole life from that point comes, uh, becomes about glorifying Jesus and telling other people about him. Now... There is no account that I'm aware of ever in the Bible where it talks about Paul picking up an instrument and leading people in worship. Um, these are two instruments they would have kind of used in the day. There's a lyre, we've got that, those photos, um, and a timbrel. So it's a bit like a guitar and a drum. There is no account of Paul ever picking up an instrument and leading people in worship. However, Paul goes down in history as probably the greatest worship leader to have ever lived because he constantly glorified God and exalted the Savior Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. His life and words have inspired millions throughout history to offer up God-honoring worship. More than anyone else, Paul shows us how to live the life of a worshiper and a worship leader. Now, every single one of us who have accepted Jesus, that have had Jesus revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, that have confessed with our mouth that Christ is Lord and received his grace, we are now worship leaders. You are. By that very moment, at that moment, you became a worship leader. You have become image bearers of God, torch bearers carrying light to a broken world. You have a new song in your mouth, a song of joy of peace, of freedom. You are children of God, playing in the safety 
of your father's house. You are healers showing mercy and love to a broken world. And we all have a responsibility, right, before God to lead firstly ourselves in worship, but then also the people around us. I just want to say again, this is not about music. Yeah, don't confuse this with what happens on that platform. This isn't about that. One of my best mates, Joe Mack, who spoke on the opening night, he can't sing a note. Well, he can, but it's not the right note. But boy, can he lead people to the cross. Yeah, he is a worship leader. And any time I spend with Joe, he leads me to Christ in the conversations we have. Now, for every worship leader, so that's all of us in here, if you have given your life to Christ, there is, there is a choice before us whether we are going to lead people well, skillfully, wisely, or not. Whether you are going to help people encounter Jesus or not. So, just as a way of example... If I stood in the big top tonight and I opened up with a bit of amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once lost. But now... Well, that one wasn't too bad. Uh, I'm saying... Would that help you? Would that help you encounter Jesus tonight? Oh, my goodness. Okay. I think that says more about you, mate. But um, it wouldn't. It really wouldn't. It'd be distracting. So, guys, the way that you live your life, it's a bit like this. So you might confess with your mouth that you're a Christian. So all your mates at school, they know you're a Christian. Yeah, I go to church on a Sunday. Some people, you might be really outspoken about it. And so you're in church on a Sunday and your hands up. You're singing praises to God. You're declaring with your mouth that God is great. He's good. But then you go back to school and you're in the playground and the video comes out and you're watching it. You're laughing at it. You're swearing, you're bullying someone, you go home, you disrespect your parents. It's just like what just happened here. You're declaring one thing with your mouth, but behind the scenes, it just, it it doesn't line up. The kind of chord progression of your life, the beat of your life just isn't in step with the words that you're declaring. It's in conflict with each other. And your friends notice it. I'm telling you that now. They might never tell you. They might never actually confront you on it. But they're, in their heads, they're like, man, he's telling me that he's, he follows Jesus. And they might not know everything and they might not actually get grace and all of that. But they know that there should be something different about you. I tell you that much. Your friends, if you know, if you tell your friends that you're a Christian... At the very least, your friends are going, right, there should be something different about that person. So then when you then engage on some of these stuff, for them it's like you're saying one thing with your mouth, but the core progression of your life is just doesn't line up. It's in conflict, out of tune. 
just want to read something from another part of the Bible. It's from 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now this verse is used loads in youth work. But often only the first bit. You see it kind of like, you see youth works with it like graffitied on the wall. Let no one despise you for your youth. Yeah, to take the world. Often I don't see the next bit said as well. And um, whether you're young or old in this room today, this is, this is good. This is a good encouragement for us. Unfortunately, we live in a world that far more elevates public kind of stuff, ministry, success, than it does the internal things. And again, like for all of you guys, all you see is this guy standing on the platform with funky lights and a choir. And it's like, yeah, man, you don't see what goes on in my heart sometimes. It's no different to you guys. I might be a bit further on my journey, but it's a mess sometimes. So I just want to quickly walk through all of these things. So it starts off by talking about speech. You know, every time we open our mouths, we are declaring who or what we worship and what we believe in, what matters to us. And every time we open our mouths, we are leading and influencing someone. When you speak, be aware of this and look to exalt God in everything you say. Jesus' words in the book of Matthew 12:36, he said that we will be held accountable for every careless word we say. It matters. It matters how you use your mouth. So guard it. The next one, it says, it says in conduct, the way you handle yourself, present yourself, the way you act in your day-to-day lives matters and again should be the primary place that you exalt and worship God. I often say whenever I gather my worship team back at King's, I always say to them that what we do on the platform week by week should be the overflow of what's happening in our hearts and in our daily lives. It should be like the cherry on the cake. It shouldn't be the cake. And if it is, there's a problem. If that is the sum of our time with Jesus, there's a problem. It's the wrong way around. It should be the overflow. I realized a couple of years ago, so I was, by this point I was leading the team and I was the primary worship leader on our Catford site, which is about 900 people. And um, I suddenly realized that I would stand on a Sunday morning and I'd be worshiping God, hands up, and everyone would be like, Neil, that was great. I was like, yeah. And then I'd get in my car and I'd be racing home. I'd be speeding. I'd be cutting people up. My wife's giving me daggers from the, from the seat next to me. And I suddenly realized, like, man, what? this is just in conflict. And the big thing that got me was one time when I beat someone, I realized, oh, they go to my church and I'm their pastor. Oh, man, I don't think they realized it was me, but I realized it was them. And I had to repent. Because in that moment, I realized, man, I'm declaring one thing in this hour and a half window in church when I'm in the front of the eyes of my senior pastor and everyone else. And then I get in my little car in my own little bubble, and I'm like... And it's like it's in conflict. How we conduct ourselves matters. He then says, in love... What is the greatest commandment? Can you tell me? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor. We cannot claim 
to fulfill the first greatest commandment in song whilst we neglect to do the second. Yeah, let me just say that again. Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. We cannot sing songs that declare that if we then fail in the other parts of our life to love our neighbor. It's in conflict. So the way that you show love and speak to your parents, your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister, your friends, your teachers, do you speak in love? It matters. It matters. In 1 John 3.16, he says, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and truth. Again, this conflict between you can say whatever you like, but do you back it up? When the rubber hits the road, actually, where's your life at? What are your actions saying? And then finally, it says, oh no, finally, in, it, next one's in faith. How do you worship? How do you live in the hard moments? I mean, obviously, we've covered that this week already with Sam and Becky. And like in those moments, do you, when her life is hard, and guys, following Jesus is not a promise of a good life. Like, well, no, it is, but it's not in like promise of a conflict-free, easy life. It's definitely a promise of a good life. (laughs) Correct myself. Um, But when life is hard, what do you do? Do you wallow in it? Do you get angry? Do you get mean? Do you get hard, bitter, rude? Do you fall apart? Or do you turn to God? Do you call on the power of the Holy Spirit and turn that feeling of fear, of dread, of worry of anxiety, of sadness, and do you turn it into a song of gladness, of trust, of content? Do you come back to the rock of ages, to his faithfulness and goodness? How do you deal with hard times? I just say, we will have hard times. I'm not telling you, you don't, it's not about being fake with it, but what do you do with it? It matters. And finally, impurity. God is a holy God. He is without blemish. He is whiter than snow. And now, you know, we will never be except through the grace of Jesus. And as I was, as I was kind of running through this this morning, I just, I just had such a sense from the Spirit just to particularly say to the, to the girls in the room, do you know you are so cherished by God? Do you know he looks at you this morning and just says, you are radiant to me. You are beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are beautiful. That's the words over you this morning as a daughter of God. And men in the room, you're a, you're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a man. But I also just felt him say, what kind of man, what, what, for, what for you does it mean to be a man? I just felt him say, tell them to look at Jesus. There's a lot of bad examples in this world of how to be a man. Loads of them. And for many years, I followed them. I thought it was about being the biggest, the toughest, being in the rugby team, hitting the gym. It's not, that's not a man. It's not a man. Standing up for the weak, that's a man. Loving the women around you like sisters, that's a man. Waiting to love one woman for the rest of your your life, that's a man. Willing to lay your life down for her, that's a man. Wanting to respect, encourage, let her be all that she can be in Christ, that's a man. God calls us 
and encourages us to live our lives in purity. Now, here's the good news, okay? We can't do it. We can't do it. We'll never be able to do it. How's that good news? We will make mistakes. You will get it wrong. You will sin. You will at times choose to worship something else. And at times, even if only for a fleeting second, you will choose to take your eyes away from Jesus. But that is when you need to fall again before the cross. Come again under the grace of Jesus. Jesus has made a way. Now, I know there's some of you in this room, you know this, but you know it up here. And it's time to know it in here. So in a bit, we are going to have some ministry time. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is going to take this head knowledge of yours and put it right in here. We need to fall again before the cross, come under the grace of Jesus, have our slate wiped clean. And guys, this is a daily thing. This is a daily, this is an hourly, this is a second by second thing that we have to do. How are you saved? Grace. How are you transformed? Grace. How do you live a life of worship? Grace. How do you walk in step with God daily? Grace. We can't say and focus on that word enough. Grace. I spent so many years wallowing in my own sin, ashamed to come before the throne of God. I wasted so many years trying really, really, really hard to live well. Trying to read my Bible the appropriate amount. Trying really hard not to watch pornography. Trying really hard to to, to do this and that and not do this and not do that. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. So how do we do it? How do we do what Timothy's encouraged us to do? How do we do what Paul has encouraged us to do? See in Romans 12. It says, in view of God's mercy. In view of the cross of Christ. In view of his hands which were pierced by nails. In view of the crown of thorns on his head. In view of the crowd standing around him, mocking him. In view of the blood watering the ground around the cross. In view of his mother and friends weeping around him. In view of the stone that has been rolled away. In view of the empty tomb. In view of the curtain that has been torn in two, in view of the spotless lamb, the risen one, the holy one, the ascended one, now offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This really isn't about trying harder, guys. It's really not. If you do that, you're going to spend your whole life failing. You are, and you will wallow in it. This really isn't about questions like, how far is too far with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? It really isn't about how many times should I read my Bible a week? How many times should I pray this week? They're the wrong questions. It's about standing before the cross, your life being eclipsed by the work of Jesus. It's about dying to self and lifting Jesus as king of your heart. And as you do that, as you stand before 
the throne of God. All of these questions, they'll flip. They will flip. It's no longer about how far is too far. Is pornography really that bad? Because it's not hurting anyone, is it? How many times should I read my Bible? How many times should I pray? These are the wrong questions. It becomes, how much praise is this Jesus worth? Everything I can give. How good and glorious is this Jesus? Utterly beyond description. How long shall I sing his praises? 10,000 years and forevermore. What response does this Jesus deserves? It demands my soul, my life, my all. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, love so amazing, so divine, Demands my soul, my life, my all. How do you live a life of worship to God? You look at Jesus. You sing songs that exalt Jesus. You discuss with friends and youth leaders all that he has done on the cross. And I promise you as you do that, as you look at the ascended Jesus, the spotless lamb, I promise you. That will flow through every stream of your life. So if you haven't got a Bible, go and buy one. If you haven't got the money to buy one, go and ask a youth leader to buy you one. Do it. Sorry, youth leaders, but do it. This is eternity that we're talking about. This is the world knowing that Jesus reigns. If you struggle to read your Bible, you're not sure where to start, not sure about the language sometimes, Ask one of your leaders to sit down with you and help you. Tell them your desire to know Jesus and get them to help you. Can I just make a, a, just a brief comment to you if you're youth leaders in the room? My, my hunch and what I've certainly observed in our church is sometimes we're really good at telling them to read the Bible. We're not always the best at teaching them how. Yeah? Like, Seriously. It doesn't work. We're in a generation. It doesn't work just to tell them to go off. Go go read your Bible. It's good for you. We need to teach them how. We're in a generation that more and more they're not reading. You need to sit next to them. You need to open it with them. You need to take them to some of the more easier passages first and explain it to them. Tell them how to grasp it, how to read it. Teach them how to pray before it and ask Jesus to reveal himself through it. Make it more than just an intellectual study, but it being about a transformation, about a relationship. Teach them. Don't just tell them to do it. Ask the Holy Spirit daily to reveal Jesus to you. Daily, fall again before the cross, the grace of God. Repent of your sins daily. Never let shame creep in. Woohoo, Holy Spirit. Right, pornography. I'm going to hit it. Okay. There is something totally out of sync when it comes to pornography. Yeah, in my life, what I've experienced is when I do something else, when I lie or do some other sins, I don't know, I don't hesitate to come back before Jesus. I very quickly come and I go, oh God, I shouldn't have done that. I know I told a little fib and I'm sorry. There is something totally disproportional about the sin and the shame attached to pornography. Not the sin, the shame attached to pornography. That it caused me in my life, and I think this is true, For anyone that is gripped by it, it caused me to feel such shame that I stopped repenting. Because I felt in my life, I felt, oh, I can't come again. I've already said sorry for this like 50 times. I can't come again. Jesus, like, 
Surely, I just can't do it. And in my head, I knew that the grace of Jesus covered me. I knew it in, up here, but in my heart, there was too much shame. And this is, it's just so, it's on a crazy another level, guys. And we have got to break that. We have got to break that because this nation, our young people, I'm sure many in this room are gripped by it and it's crippling. And it causes you to come into church and, and you just shy away. You, you just feel like you can't even repent again because you've done it so many times. The grace of Jesus covers you. Never allow sin to stop you coming before the throne of God, knowing that his grace covers you, that Jesus on the cross didn't just die for these sins, he died for every sin, every time. Never allow shame to stop you coming before your father and repent. Do it daily. Never, ever stop. Sing songs that glorify and exalt the Lamb. Ask a leader to disciple you, to help you grow. Pray, but not out of guilt or condemnation. Pray because you earnestly want a relationship with Jesus. Everything God has ever done for humanity has been out of relationship, a desire for relationship. The Ten Commandments, we so often look at them as this rule book. It's not. It's all about a relationship. It's all about relationship for God. It's not enough, guys, to walk into our churches for an hour and a half every week and declare that God is good and that we're a Christian. He demands, he deserves our souls, our life, our all. And I just want to finish with this quote from Matt Redman. This is um, one of his songs called Unbroken Praise. And the lyric in the song says, Let my deeds outrun my words. Let my life outweigh my songs. And then he, in this interview, he goes on to say this. He says, if you don't complete the integrity of the offering we are bringing, whether that's musically or voca- vocally, then it doesn't mean an awful lot. We sing out in praise. We express our worship and devotion to God. And then we back it up with a life that's lived out in praise too. Hear that. Let my deeds outrun my words. Let my life outweigh my songs.